Welcome to the Culture Classroom, a podcast for teachers and coaches by teachers and coaches. Listen to top leaders, innovators, and influencers share their stories about how intentional culture elevates performance. Now, here are your hosts, John Weaver and John Torrey. Let's get better together. Well, welcome back to the Culture Classroom. It's been a long hiatus. We've taken a break with football season. Um, Coach Torrey and I both finished football seasons up about a week ago and uh man we're ready to get back in the classroom give you some content that we think is going to be beneficial for you and your football team as you enter into the spring season the off season or winter season whatever way you want to look at it but we have some interesting topics that we're going to address uh over the next six weeks for you guys but the first one is you start thinking about this um your favorite NFL moment, you know, the playoffs are coming back into, into play right now, Coach Torrey. So when I start thinking about my favorite NFL moment, uh, I go back to the 85 Bears. And I think about Super Bowl twenty, And then, you know, big guys like to score touchdowns. Everybody's like, can I get a touchdown? We have a guy on our team this year who's like, Coach, if we're up, can I get a touchdown? Well, William the Fridge Perry gets the touchdown in the third quarter and everybody knows that when the fridge – I mean, it's all over YouTube. And when you start thinking about that, uh, you see it all the time of the fridge scoring, the fridge scoring. I think that's where linemen now are like, can I get the ball? Can I get the ball for on the two-yard line? Uh, I even did that in a junior high game uh, to one of my ninth graders. He was like, can I get – if we're up, I was like, look, if we get down to the two or three, I'm putting you in and you're going to score a touchdown. And that was his first touchdown that he ever scored, ever. And it ended up being the only touchdown – that he ever scored in high school. So uh, we can talk about that. Uh, and I know you have some time in the NFL that we can talk about. And, and you know a lot of history about the NFL, especially with the Bears in 85. Yeah, I, I love the 85 Bears. I mean, I'm not a Bears fan. I just love football. And that was really my coming of age season, right? Like I, I very much remember watching the 85 Bears on TV watch them go undefeated down to Miami on the Monday night game and lose that Monday night game in about week 14. Uh, ended up being their only loss in the season. You know, the 46 defense with Buddy Ryan and, uh, of course, Mike Ditka and his cigars and sweaters and just all kinds of swag on that team. All right, so, Coach Troy, we're talking about how iconic these guys are. They had their own Super Bowl shuffle. They have a music video like you'd see on CMT Hot 20 or something like that on Sunday afternoons. These dudes were so iconic. They had their own dance and Super Bowl shuffle. Coach Weaver, I'm just like you. I remember where I was sitting there watching Super Bowl 20. It's 37-3 to in the third quarter when the fridge goes into the backfield. You know, they've got the ball at the one-yard line. And uh, I think the powerful part of that story is not what happened, but what didn't happen. Because the other person in the backfield at the time was Walter Payton. And he needs no introduction to our fans or should need no introduction to the people that listen to us. But uh, they didn't call him sweetness for nothing, right? One of the greatest players in NFL history. And um, so I look at, I always remember like the fridge's glory really was the demise of sweetness. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you, you know, we've, you shared some info with me about this. Um, and there's some things that we can look at of the bitter sweetness of how him not scoring in that game and what it transpired and what team athletics look like. You know, in that story, you, we can get into it a little bit more, but I think coaches also need to hear 
of what is a team. You know, we sell team all the time. But what is a team? And for us, it's a collection of individual goals that meets a team goal. So whether you score a touchdown or get five carries or get three catches or no catches or 14 catches or score three touchdowns or no touchdowns, success is success based on the team's success. Yeah. You know, and I always think about the NFL. That's not always the case, you know, because there's bonuses and there's billions of dollars tied to it uh, and all kinds of marketing and things like that. Um, that's not really the case of what we have to deal with in high school sports. It, it's a little bit of the case in college sports, but it gets muckier the higher you go. Right. But but you're right. It's hard for players not to look at quick stats. That's what we use here in Iowa. It's hard for players not to get caught up in, well, we lost, but I had a really good game. And uh, I think that's where the value is in this Peyton man, or in this uh, Walter Payton story. Just a little background at this point in the '85 season. It was Walter Payton's 11th. That's a long time for an NFL running back, especially in the 70s and 80s. And Coach Weaver, maybe you remember this, but the Bears were bad yeah. before '85. Yeah, like they were bad. <laughs> we're talking three, four, five win seasons. Yeah. So it was. It wasn't like. Walter Payton was just a really good player with a really good offensive line. No, he was a really good player with nobody else around him. In fact, I always think about how bad the Bears would be if they didn't have Walter Payton. Ooh, that's – you know, and you talk about Walter Payton, this little sidebar, he's homegrown. Went to Jackson yeah. State, played at Columbia High School. I mean, From it's – From the Democrats. Yeah, right here in Mississippi. So this story hits home a little bit more uh, for me being from Mississippi. Yeah, you know, and then I think about, like, Randy Jackson right now has his captain's playbook out there. Mm -hmm. Walter Payton was a captain. I mean, so he's done this for a long time on a bad team. Finally, they kept some magic. The defense is really good. McMahon was a big part of that, brought some swag there with the headband that said Roselle, with all the other things that McMahon did, did with the glasses and uh, the dark the visor. The dark visor. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So this team all swagged up then, and then in 85, they go and they do this. And uh, just a little bit about his positive visualization that Peyton would do. Every night, he would lay down before a game, and he would envision how the game would go. So obviously, he does this during uh, the night before the Super Bowl. He doesn't sleep much. It's tossing. He's turning. It's clearly the biggest game of his career. And he visualizes that he's going to run for 155 yards with three touchdowns and become the Super Bowl MVP. In reality, he fumbles on the second play of the game, and he finishes with 22 carries for just 61 yards. Now, and the Super Bowl is a runaway. Yeah. No touchdowns. The Super Bowl is a runaway. It was 46 to 10. I mean, the Patriots were out of it in the first quarter. It was 23 to 3 at half, and then the the Bears piled more on in the second half. But not only did his visualization not manifest, but then he fell victim to that poor me, look at my statistics, I didn't score. And then that came about with a lot of resentment toward Ditka and towards uh, McMahon and towards the fridge, you know, because they're taking all of his glory away. And I just think it's really interesting when he should be should have been the happiest person in the Bears locker room because he meant more to the franchise than anybody else at that point. He actually wasn't even in the locker room. He locked himself in a broom closet and refused to come out. Yeah, I was when you when we were reading this uh, earlier. I mean, 
It said he never came out. He never answered the door when he was like, hey, come out of here. He never answered. He just sulked the whole time. And the vision I see is, and you said it, you know, the quick stats. It, it's how fast do we get caught up in how many rushes I'm going to have, how many carries am I going to have, how many touchdowns am I going to score, how many interceptions am I going to have in a game. All those things that I think that social media – has just manifested to where, look at me, look at me, look at me, where kids put out their highlights. Well, you know, that's all the good stuff. They don't see the, the bad stuff. For, so, obviously, if, if Walter Payton was in today's society and Huddle was around, uh, he wouldn't put any highlights from that game up, mainly because he didn't score a touchdown or he fumbled on the second play of the game. But I think our kids fall victim to that so many times. And I don't even think it's just the kids, it's the parents that want their kid to have – so maybe for baseball, they're not batting cleanup or they're batting, uh, they're batting ninth when they should be batting first in the eyes of that parent. But I think some of the bittersweetness of team wins versus individual accolades can be stemmed to parents. And I know our coaches that listen to this podcast uh, have that happen to them on the daily. You know, with the society we live in, we all kind of have our own sweetness on our team – how do we address that? And hopefully we can get to that, that goal today to help people, that, the coaches that listen to this, can help them. You know, we don't have all the answers, but I think we have some. We have some that can help. But how, how we can turn what happened in the Super Bowl to sweetness and him locking himself in a closet, not celebrating with the team. Obviously, you win the Super Bowl uh, – it's just like winning a state championship for us. We've gone back to back. I mean, it's it's a high moment. It's huge for your program. But yet here he is, a captain, in quotes, sulking because he didn't get what he thought he should get. When it goes back to legacy, I mean, I think I, that's the older I get, that's the view that I try to take. I try to tell 15 to 18-year-old kids, it's about your legacy. You're going to talk about your football games that you're playing right now. You're going to talk about it in 20 and 30 and 40 years and beyond. I mean, those are things that no one can take away from you. Right. And you won't remember the score, and you won't remember necessarily your stats that you had. You won't remember the times that the coach pulled you aside and chewed your ass. Maybe you will. Uh, but really, it comes down to were you there? Were you part of it? You know, and, and that's the part. And then I think about Walter Payton and his legacy. And I can't think of very many NFL players that have as pristine of a legacy as Walter Payton does. Hmm. I mean, NFL gives out the man of the year award every year because of him. And um, he's obviously one of the best running backs in NFL history, if not the best running back. So you talk about the people that are not our generation, but a little older than us. He meant so much to the city of Chicago. Um, and then that 85 bears team so iconic for a lot of different people. But um, it, I'm, I'm really impressed that his legacy hasn't been tarnished by some of this story from Super Bowl 20. And maybe as time goes on, you forget about all those things uh, and you focus more on the body of work. But I think as a high school kid, if you're getting pulled from the game in a critical moment or if you're not getting the ball thrown to you uh, at a certain point in the game or if the coach is benching you to go with another player who's about equal size or ability, uh, it's about taking the long view and just being part of that journey. Because you and I, we've all been benched at some point in our life, right? Yeah. yeah, I remember I remember getting benched. And there's that fork in the road you can take. Like, 
hey, I'm getting benched for a reason. Do I need to, I need to examine myself? Like, what did I do to get benched? And then, or you can go and sulk and be like, the coach don't like me. He's singling me out. I should be there. I'm better than so-and-so and so-and-so. So there's two ways you can look at it. And, you know, and I, I can't help but think about so many times and the success that we've had with MRA. I mean, John, we've, we've gone back-to-back. Back. We've won 36 of our last 39 games. There's a bunch of success in there. But there's so many times that the kids can get caught up in the, the stats. How much, how many catches am I going to get tonight? Or I only had this many or – how many rushes am I going to get? How many pancakes for our offensive linemen? You know, and then one minute you're starting, one minute you're not starting. So I think it goes back to clear communication from a coach Absolutely. to say, hey, this is why we pulled you. Here's how you can get better. And then it's left up, to, I think, to that kid to focus on what he needs to get better at. I mean, there's constructive criticism, and then there's coaching. And you can merge both of those. But so many times, I think high school kids flip that switch of like, oh, he doesn't like me. Yep. Oh, he's got it out for me. Well, not necessarily. I, I, I wouldn't be in this profession if that was the case because football is just a vehicle that we use to build young men. So, should be just a vehicle we use. Yeah. Yeah, it's not all about championships. That's what I'm saying. With all the success we have, hey, it's great. But – how are you leaving our program? What legacy are you leaving behind as you're, as you leave this program and you come back ten years from now and you're being honored? What do you want to be remembered at? Hey, he gave it his all. He did this. She did that. Whatever. But versus, you know, you, you, we're talking about this Walter Payton deal where big moment in '85, the fridge gets the touchdown instead of Payton being excited. I mean. Seeing a big guy score a touchdown, that, that's awesome. You know, we, we watched one of our guys run the football for the first time uh, in the championship game, and everybody celebrated that he was got the ball. I mean, he ran one time for like two yards. Didn't matter. But to see the other side of, I think, the team culture of when you're building it of, hey, everybody is pulling or pushing in the right direction, in the same direction, you get excited for people, of course. So I think that that could have helped this story with Peyton of seeing the fridge go in and he comes off, I mean, to giving him a high five or, you know, congratulating him or doing some kind of whatever. But I think that could have helped this whole story rather than him being selfish, if you want to call it what it is, it's being selfish because he didn't get what he thought he deserved. Yeah, you know, and, and I think Dicka probably shouldered some of that blame as the years have gone on. Dicka says that, you know, he didn't do the right decisions. Uh, he felt he felt really bad about not giving the ball to Peyton right there. Maybe didn't know how much that touchdown would have meant to him in that moment. But I think that's where us as leaders can take a step back too and put some of that on us. Um, that might be a Band-Aid. It might not help the player uh, feel better about it. But I think there's ownership to be shared there between the two. So it's not always about individual accolades. And at the same time, the team, it's about putting the team's needs and goals ahead of everybody else. But um, if coaches can be cognizant of those feelings, and rather than just dismiss a player because they're selfish or whatever, we're a selfish society. <laughs> so we have, to, we have to recognize that, you know? And, um, and then 
I think this part, this just little quote uh, from Jeff Perlman's book on sweetness, which is where we got this story from. Um, and it came from Bears Management. As Walter is locked in the closet, Bears Management goes down in there. Uh, they break into this closet. Walter's sitting there and he's, he's crying and whatever else. And Bears Management goes, you'll be remembered as a selfish sack of sh shit who moped after a Super Bowl. Now, 40 years later, that's not really the case. Mm -mm. But it's hard to tell that to a 15 to 18-year-old kid. Absolutely. And I think that's where we come into play. If we're building young men and we're trying to help them uh, shape their path of who they want to be remembered as, as a sophomore, junior, senior, when they come back, how are they viewed in the community, how are they viewed at the school when they come back, you know, I did it when I was in college. I came back and went to the high school, saw some of the teachers. Uh, I think we have to help them shape who they are and how they act and react to things that happen to them. So, you know, we can learn a lot from this story that, and it's, it's like the fifth way to be a coffee bean. The past yeah. doesn't define you. Yeah. You know, and as you guys hang another banner at MRA, which congratulations, uh, phenomenal. Uh, no one really expected that going back to August or July. Um, so you're hanging another banner. That's really what it's about, right? Like kids are going to get another ring to wear. So when they come back to MRA, when they're dads or when they're old and fat and they can talk about those stories, they can point to those banners. Um, and I think that's where that's your individual accomplishment, right? That's your legacy. It's the championship. It's the banner that's going to hang in the gym for the rest of their life. Yeah. You know, no one cares if they had 200 yards rushing uh, in the state championship game or if they had a school record 18 catches uh, in a playoff game. You know, those details are going to get lost along the way, but there will always be that banner. Yeah. And I think the last part to this Walter Payton story is Walter Payton lost his Super Bowl ring before he died. Mm. Is lost. And if that ring meant something to him, it wouldn't have gotten lost. Got lost in a couch. They found it years later. But there's your individual accomplishment, right? There you are as a cog in the, in the greater parts. Uh, and so that thing, that symbol of our team didn't mean anything to him because he felt slighted. Wow. You know, I, I go back and I think about last year's championship and we talked about Accolades. Well, I wanted one for one of our receivers. Like Philip, Philip had six yards or seven yards to throw for 600. He would have had uh, if this guy would have caught a touchdown. Uh, every one of my receivers would have caught a touchdown in the championship game. Which selfishly, that's what I wanted as a coach. I was like, I want all my guys. To, at the end of the day, they don't care about it. They just talked about this championship. Uh, they're like, Coach, I remember this, 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 this. And they didn't care about how many catches they had, how many yards they had. It's the fact that we won the championship. And it's the same thing going with this team. You know, we had we had guys that were some PTPers, as Dickie V says, in that game. And, you know, the end goal was we won the game. And that's one of our major things is we're pushing team. Yes, is it important for us to – have guys that step up and have big games? Absolutely. That's, that's human nature. Like, guys are going to step up and they're going to have those type moments and those type games. But the end goal is exactly what you just alluded to was 
that championship ring. You know, I go back to, to 2017 in track season. We weren't supposed to do anything special. But our guys bought in to what can I do today to make the team better. If it's finishing fifth or finishing second or winning my race, I'm going to do whatever it takes to push myself, to push the team, to help us win a championship. So, you know, and I know coaches go through this all the time. You know, they're fighting individual accolades, quarterbacks, my, you know, my so-and-so should be playing this or my so-and-so should be playing this. And they're fighting that daily. So, so many times it's, I go back to your, what's your short view? What's your long view? Yeah. You know, and your yeah. long view is, is how do you want your legacy to be remembered as when you come back 10 years, 20 years later? What are you going to tell your kids? What stories are you going to tell with your best friend who's standing right next to you on the sideline? Because uh, those relationships won't fade. 90% of the guys around you, those relationships will fade. But your best friends, the guys that you uh, like call, have over and have sleepovers and go do things with and play the game together, I mean, those are your brothers. They're, that's going to be that way for the rest of the life. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think it's so important for teams to understand. And if you're a coach out there, if you're a leader – you mentioned it earlier, Coach Weaver, but it's about exceptional clarity and then finding out what your players want because if, if Dicka would have had a conversation with Sweetness before the game and said, look, what do you want? Like, you've been you've met so much to this franchise over the cl- last decade or whatever. Uh, what do you want? And I'll make it happen. And then it's aligning what that player wants to what happens during the game. And if you can do all three of those things, I, I think that's how you build the team. Yeah, it, it's it's a fine line. And as we're recording, I just got a, a text message from one of our players. Know what it says? It's kind of fitting. Hey, do you know my stats from the championship game? So as we're recording, I'm getting a message about that. So it's always there. It's always present. It's, it's up to us as coaches. How do we channel that? How do we channel what path do we put it on? for the betterment of the team, but yet not sliding the athlete thinking that their individual statistics are not important. What was the score of the championship game, by the way? 41-14. That's the only stat that matters. Back. That's right. Text that back. Yeah. <laughs> That's a true statement. Um, you know, 48-33 was the year before that. That's the only one I remember. Only one I remember besides Philip throwing for 593. I don't know what his attempts complete. I don't know. I just know that because of me coaching receivers. But, um, you know, I hope this helps our coaches dealing with stuff that they have to deal with on a daily basis as seasons come to a close and huddles, you know, huddle has to get out. and Or even during the beginning of the season or you're in the meat of the season when, when the individual statistics and you're tracking them and you're helping kids keep up with them, are you giving them exceptional clarity of, hey, this is what I need from you if it doesn't happen, it's okay. The team's going to win. You know, those type of things. Hey, we're, we're worried about the team goal of winning. So. Yeah, there is no fantasy football in high school football. No. All right, so we're seeing so. one side of it where Peyton is in the broom closet, you know, and he's sulking and he's, he's not celebrating the championship. But on the other t- side of it, you brought up a great point. Sometimes we just got to pause. Yeah, I, I think human nature, we just want to be heard, right? 
Like, I think Walter Payton, it's easy for us on the outside, 40 years removed from the event, to sit back and look and criticize and say, well, that's selfish and get over it. Like, we won a championship, be part of us. Really, I think what he wanted by sitting in the broom closet was just to push pause. There's a lot of emotions that go into into that kind of atmosphere. And he needed some time to process that and how he felt about that. And if we're going to live our true, authentic version of ourself, we need more of those honest moments built in, uh, whether it's the times are really high or whether they're really low. Um, and I think at the end of the day, and Medcalf writes about this in Chop Wood, Carry Water. So all those of you who have read that book, uh, he just talks about how people want two things. They want to be heard and they want to be loved. And I think that sums up Walter Payton in that moment of Super Bowl Twenty. Yeah, you, that's a, such a great point of we just need those moments. You know, it was, as you alluded to before, like he, he envisioned and was restlessly sleeping of how he's going to have three touchdowns, so many carries, so many yards, and that didn't happen. So in his mind, and the, I mean, we're talking about the best back in NFL history now, didn't get what he was sleeping and, re- I mean, the, the biggest game of his career, being in the Super Bowl. So those times where you just get to, you just got to let people have a moment. And I think if that were to happen and you go back to Bears management and they, they sit there and they say, all right, we're going to let him be and then come back and celebrate with the team, I think it had been a whole different story rather than the one we're talking about now where it's bittersweetness to where, yes, the team won, but yet we're focusing on this. No, and I think about all the parent meetings that we have to have sometimes, or I think about how do you how do you build up that person who feels disappointed with their performance? Because there's no doubt, even in the win, that Walter Payton felt disappointed by his performance. How do you pick people back up? And I think sometimes coaching them to have that moment, coaching them to have that kind of release in a safe space that's not going to hurt anybody, uh, just to hear and to give them a chance to be loved, I think that's what we're really after. Coaches and leaders, um, if you feel like you have a great story you want to share with Coach Weaver and I, hit us up. You can text us. You can drop us a DM. uh, Go to the Culture Classroom. Send us a DM there. Uh, Find us on Instagram and just tell us, how do you build we into your team and minimize the me?